Hello Good Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's episode we're going to be chatting with Blair Enns about value-based pricing. But before we get started, as always, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this podcast, FreshBooks, the cloud accounting software designed and built for creative professionals to help us send our invoices, take online payments, monitor our profits, expenses, and so much more. It's a superb system, and I recommend you give it a try for yourself with a free 30-day trial, which you can claim just by visiting freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek, and be sure to enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. So as mentioned on this week's podcast, I'm honored to be interviewing Blair Enns, author of the book, The Win Without Pitching Manifesto, and also Pricing Creativity, A Guide to Profit Beyond the Billable Hour. Now the book Pricing Creativity, or manual as I like to see it, is one I picked up about a year ago. And if you've seen this book, you'll be well aware it's, it's expensive. I mean, we're talking $200 for a hard copy. And even though it's expensive, for me, I can honestly say it's by far the best book I've read over the past 12 months. And it's the first book that I've read on pricing that's helped me to finally understand value-based pricing and will very likely have a direct influence on my freelance business ongoing. Like I'm still absorbing what I've learned and like there's so many changes I want to make to my my business. So I hope that the conversation in, in today's interview will be enough to also help you to understand value-based pricing so that you can build a better design service and also build a more profitable business too. If you are interested in this book, it's not one that you can find on Amazon. So if you do plan to check it out, head over to priceandcreativity.com or visit the show notes for this episode, which you can find at logogeek.uk forward slash 3.3, where you'll find links to anything mentioned in this episode, along with a transcription of the interview too. Now, Blair Enns is definitely a true master of pricing. His advice is pure gold. So I'm honored to welcome Blair Enns as a guest so that we can all learn direct from him about value-based pricing. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Blair Enns, where we discuss value-based pricing and more. To start off the discussion, could you explain what value-based pricing is and, and why you would recommend designers and creatives take this approach to pricing? Yeah, so value-based pricing is simply charging not based on the inputs of time and material, not based on the market value of the outputs of, say, the logo, but based on the value to the client of that logo. And logos in particular, it's pretty hard um, to assess, uh, it's pretty hard to assess the impact a logo is going to have, but the larger, the more established the business, the, depending on the category, the business or the brand competes in, you can, um, there's some categories where it's easier to make a, a discernment than others. And one of the, the example that I lead with in the book is the difference between the Nike logo and the Pepsi logo and Nike in its beginnings in 1971 paid a design student $35 US dollars, which is um, $200 in today's money um, for the Nike swoosh. And in 2008, Pepsi paid an established design firm a million dollars to update the Pepsi logo. So I kind of explore, well, are either are these prices fair are they are they fair one is one price is 5000 times the other price so on what basis is you know were these prices charged is the is the pepsi logo 5000 times better than the nike logo no i don't think anybody would agree with that statement is did it take do we imagine that it took the designer 5,000 times as long? 
no. So what's the basis on which the um, those two prices were arrived at? And we, we can unpack that. Um, but that's just one example. And in the in the, I, I bring it up because the Pepsi example, it was if um, about the time, and I talk about this in the book, about the time that Pepsi redesigned, PepsiCo redesigned the Pepsi logo, they also redesigned the Tropicana Pure Orange Juice packaging. And that redesign was a disaster. It hit the shelves and sales plummeted. Um, and it took PepsiCo a few months to restore the old packaging to the shelves. But by then, sales had dropped by $37 million. Or maybe it was 137 I don't remember. It was a lot of money very quickly. And if you extrapolate to the best you can with the sales data out there, that to the Pepsi brand, if that had happened to the Pepsi brand, it would have cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. Just on the downside, we're not even talking about the upside yet, but the, the potential for things to go wrong in the Pepsi redesign was huge. I mean, it was potentially, it could have cost the company half a billion dollars. Yeah, I've heard about the the Tropicana example before, um, as it's one of those that always comes up in those branding mistake blogs. And uh, it's, it's a good example of the amount of risk involved uh, with big companies like this as yeah, getting it wrong can cause such drastic losses for the company, but also getting it right could bring in huge profits for the business too. Anyway, that was a really fantastic overview of what value-based pricing is. Um, but a question I know a lot of listeners will have now is how do you determine the value of a project to a company or individual? You ask them. <laughs> and I say uh, it's not as simple as what's this worth to you, but that's effectively what you get to. So there's a framework for what's known as the value conversation. And I include that framework with my spin on it in the book. Um, and most, if you go out, if, if you kind of go into the world and look for a value conversation framework, you're going to find a three-step framework. I use a fourth, fourth step. Um, my approach is a little bit different because I see pricing as inextricably linked to selling. So I have some principles of selling um, in the book that are kind of interwoven with the principles of pricing. But the... Um, the four steps of the value conversation framework that ends with what's this worth to you begins with um, what I call uncovering the des client's desired future state. So what is it that you, what is it that you want from this project, Mr. or Madam client? And th that right there, you know, how we think about that question, the standard framework would, would identify that step as um, uncovering the objectives uh, so what are the objectives of the assignment? But I say we need to go further than objectives and uncover what the individual human being wants. Because no matter what you're selling, you are selling to your client uh, a better version of themselves. And we could talk about that, but let's just keep moving. So first you uncover the desired future state. And then you uncover the metrics, well, which might sound like, well, what now that I understand what you want at the outcome of this, at the conclusion of this project, what are the things that we can measure to prove whether or not you have achieved the things that you want? So you start with desired future state or objectives, then the metrics, what are the things that we will measure? And then you get to value. Well, what's the, if we were to accomplish all of these things, what's this worth? How, and you can measure worth the two simple economic firms of forms of worth or value are revenue gains and cost reductions. And then there's a third area known as emotional contributions to value that's a really things like risk, risk before it's played out, before it becomes an economic thing is actually an emotional thing. The way you feel, your sense of, you know, what this will do for your career, what's important to you in working with a designer. All of these things can be factored in. But if we just stick to the economic forms, you're, you're, again, the first step is, what is it that you want? What's your desired future state? The second step is, what will we measure to prove that we're successful? The third step is, what's the value to you and the organization of us hitting these metrics? And then the fourth step is, well, what would you pay for that value? And then from there, you set the price. So when I, I'm fond of saying that the value conversation, and that's the four-step framework for the value conversation, is where value pricing theory goes to die. 
because to do, I just laid out the simple framework, but to do it well, you actually have to completely let go of the solution. What that means is what I, I need to be able to navigate those four steps without even thinking about what I would do for the client. And then once I get a price, then I can go back to my studio or maybe in certain situations you can do it in the spot. And I can think about uh, how, what, A, what my costs would be. So if the price is, if the client said that they would pay 10,000 pounds for this, um, then I can spend about whatever the math is in your firm, 5,000 pounds, 7,500 pounds, 2,000 pounds. And then once you have your costs, then you start thinking about what you would do for that price. And that is almost completely backwards to how most of us think. You get an email or a call from somebody about, come to speak to me about this identity project and you're automatically jumping to the conclusion about the identity and maybe the associated items that are going with it and you're automatically thinking about your prices that you might charge based on historical or based on the inputs on which you usually charge and you're jumping to all of these conclusions and it's actually um, the hardest thing to do in moving to that highest level of pricing of value-based pricing the hardest thing to do is to let go of the old behaviors of jumping to conclusions about solutions and then making all kinds of inferences about costs and price from there. The proper steps are, as I just laid them out, you begin with desired future state, then metrics, then value. Then you ask, well, what would you pay for this? If I could do this, what would you pay for this? Mm-hmm. You explain that so um, perfectly. That's, a, that's a, such a good explanation. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And that won't be enough. It's not an issue of knowing just knowing what to do i've just given you the framework and most people listening to this that won't be enough for them because um that value conversation is something that you need to learn you need to essentially fail through some value conversations and so most people get the framework they try it and they find it difficult in the beginning because they they do leap to conclusions we are referencing that historical database that we have in our minds of everything that we've done before and leaping ahead to what we might do this time. So it's a real art to let go of the solutions and let go of the possibilities of the, what might be, and to focus intently focus on the client and what they want and what the value of them achieving that would be to them. And then allowing yourself to think about solutions. Mm-hmm. I know from personal experience, even though I've read your book, actually applying that value-based conversation in, into your processes, it takes time to kind of ex- ex- accept the way that it needs to be, especially if you got used to kind of almost having a product and knowing how much time it typically takes you and, um, uh, you know, how much would be a nice amount of money to make on it. It's a really hard um, uh, thing to transition over to. But I, I mean, in terms of actually growing your business and making it profitable and, um, you know, kind of offering a fair service, um, I, I think learning that value-based conversation is definitely the best way to do it. I can't imagine of a better way of doing it. And I think in your book, you, you do have um, fantastic frameworks so that you can kind of open up and read through it and, and plan your own conversation. So I, I just think it's definitely the best way to do it ongoing. But like you said, it, it just take it takes time. I, I know myself, I'm not there. I'm still struggling to kind of accept that I can do it this way. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's going to take time. So I think you're totally right with that. Yeah, the, there are levels though, right? There's uh, really, I see three levels of pricing success the first level you wouldn't consider a pricing success but it's allowing you to run your business and that's charging based on the inputs of time and material and the second level you might consider to be kind of um, using progressive pricing techniques so in the book i talk about i've got a series of uh, uh, the book is break broken up into principles rules tips and tools and the rules i have six rules things that you do every time and if you just followed a couple of the rules like offering options and anchoring high um those aren't necessarily specific to value-based pricing but you you can just follow those two rules and um 
And you'll probably start making a significantly larger amount of money based on that. And you still won't even be pricing based on value. And then, so I am, as I was writing and I was imagining, well, some of these rules are really easily applied. And, and as you start to see some success, then maybe you get some courage around the value conversation. And if there's one thing I really would love people to do as the author, I felt like this was my greatest responsibility was to get people to commit to trying the value conversation enough times to kind of fumbling forward and getting through the difficult, awkward ones to that next level. If you can get to that place where you become a master of the value conversation, your entire world will change. Your business will change. I, I think mastering the value conversation, that four-step framework I just gave you, I think that might possibly be the most valuable skill in all of business, period. I think there might not be a more valuable skill than that. And if you think of the social equivalent, like the personal social setting equivalent of the value conversation, it is that person that you know that maybe you don't see very often. And when you meet her, and I, I always think of a friend of mine I haven't seen in years, you meet her um, the entire, cause she's so intently focused on you. How are you? How are you doing? What have you been up to? And you have this maybe short conversation at the end of it. You think, oh, she, what a wonderful person. I love her so much. It's so great to see her. And then a little while later, you realize, oh my God, I, I didn't learn anything about her. The entire conversation was about me. She was so focused on me and keen to hear what I was doing. Now you think of that skill and if you can translate that into business, that's what we're talking about here. Because the goal of value-based pricing isn't really to charge more. The goal of value-based pricing is to create an organization or a business or a, a personal habit, if you're a solopreneur, of being intently focused on the client and what the client wants, her desired future state, and how you can help her. So if you follow that framework and you begin to master it, you will become that person who's so intently focused on the client that you're not thinking about what you would do until you uncover her desired future state and the metrics and the value and get a sense of what she would pay for this. Then you can start thinking about solutions. If you can do that, the world is your oyster. Like you're, You'll see that if you're a solopreneur, you're starting out and you're just in the logo design business and you master the value conversation, you'll see that you go from designer to entrepreneur and you in, in a journey that you weren't even expecting because but letting go of the solutions opens you up to seeing different types of solutions when you do finally allow yourself to sit down and think, okay, now, now that I have, I understand what she wants, what we'll measure, what this is worth to her, what she's willing to pay. Now I can think about costs and solutions. You'll start to see solutions that you hadn't previously considered. And then that's the moment when you realize I, I'm no longer a designer, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I like it as well, how once you know the value of it to them, you can kind of tailor the service towards them. Um, and it's not specifically always about making more money, but obviously um, it is the best way to start increasing your prices as well. Um, now then you, you mentioned about the, um, uh, presenting options and um i know one of those options should be like a, uh, a priced anchor um the the second one being like the um the option that you want them to go for and then the third would be like a lower price version what's the reason why you would recommend to um present options like that and and how would you go about working out what those options would be yeah so that's a big question so the reason the re there are a few reasons why you present options. The biggest one is anytime you present a proposal with a solution and a price, you're essentially putting your client in a take it or leave it situation. You will have had to have done your homework very well and probably guessed well at what's really important to the client and how much risk they want to take in the marketplace and how much risk they want to pay you to make go away. Um, but sorry, the, those are some reasons why you present options, but the biggest reason you present options is the client's brain isn't wired. If you put forward a proposal for a 5,000 pound logo, 
you're asking the question, the client to answer the question, is this logo worth 5,000 pounds? And their brain isn't wired to answer that question without context. They, um, and I proved this through a couple of images in the book and, uh, you'll have to, you have to buy the book to see the images, to see what I mean. But I, and it was the, if, when I saw one of these images, um, that's when the light went on for me about the subjectivity of value and the importance of options. Um, I proved that the, um, the client's brain needs context. So they can't say, oh, is this logo really worth 5,000 pounds? What, what their brain is wired, the question the brain is wired to answer is which of these is the best option? So for them to answer that question, is this worth 5,000 pounds? They have to go away and make a comparison. So that's why they, one of the reasons why they invite bids from other designers or they'll compare it to what they paid you previously or they'll make other comparisons. So by putting forward options, what you are doing is you are effectively controlling the comparisons and you are enabling the client's brain to answer the question that it's wired to answer, which is which of these is the best value. So you might have the 5,000 pound solution. You might have the 2,500 pound solution. Maybe they said their budget's 2,500 and you might have a 15,000 pound or, a, or even a 50,000 pound option as the anchor option. And you would begin with the anchor. And the reason you begin with the anchor is there's a, this is Nobel prize winning science. There's the idea of anchoring is that the first piece of information on a subject affects our ultimate decision or outcome or final thinking on that subject. So you begin with the high anchor. And this is, I think, intuitive to most designers, because if you've ever presented multiple options to a client and you've presented a really risky or way out there option, um, often you do that not to sell the risky option, but to make the next risk, most risky or risque option seem safe. You do it for reasons of context. And it's the same thing with pricing. You lead with the anchor. The job of the anchor is not to sell that most expensive solution. It's to make the other ones look less expensive. So you lead with the anchor and then it doesn't matter how really how you do the other two. It's important to have three options because there's a principle known as extremeness aversion, where people uh, tend away from the extreme options toward the safe options in the middle. So they're most likely to end up in the middle. So you can, this is a bit of a generalization, but you can think of your three prices as the expensive anchor is designed to actually shock and, and make the client, push the client's comfort zone a little bit. Um, the middle option might be kind of where you want to end up. And the most, the cheapest option is the one uh, that maybe meets the client's budget. Now, Ian, you asked about, well, how do you come up with the three different options? And it, this is in a, in a design practice, pricing is more art than it is science. And I gave you kind of a rough uh, framework for that. The anchor is just a really big one. The middle one is where you want to end up and it's probably higher than the client's stated budget and the lower one's the stated budget. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of a rough enough framework for, you know, the time that we have to talk about here. I just want to take a short break to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks, who has sponsored this season of the podcast, which has allowed me to make time to actually do these interviews for you. So if you're not already familiar, FreshBooks make ridiculously easy to use cloud accounting software for freelancers and small business owners. You can send invoices, keep track of your profits and expenses, take online payments, and you can also send automatic late payment reminders so that if your client doesn't pay, it will send an automatic message to save you from any awkward conversations. It's also recently been redesigned from the ground up, so it looks really great and it's easy to use, but I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to go and check it out for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial and you can grab that just by visiting freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and be sure to enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. Now let's get back to the interview with Blair Enns. I know when it comes to to pricing, uh, a worry that I always have, um, especially with this, is that 
I might potentially um, price too high and risk losing the um, client to another um, designer who's who's quoted less. And I know when it comes to logo design, there are a lot of people out there that do go just by price. And I was wondering, how can designers overcome this fear so that they do price correctly? Well, if you go back to um, the Nike versus Pepsi logo and you have... You know, one is five thousand times a multiple of the other, and as as you know, you you know even I think we all know at least of stories of firms of companies paying millions of dollars or pounds for a logo, and we know that you can go get a logo for five pounds or ninety nine dollars in the United States, or less. so the range is is essentially infinite. And it's funny how you in your mind have a very definite idea of the range that's fair and somebody else in their mind has a completely different range based on different ideas of what they think is fair or what the market values. And they're just completely mental. They're, I mean, psychological. So uh, I think the first thing you need to recognize is that the the biggest barriers to charging more are actually in your mind. And what you'll do is like, if I could just predict, um, if you, if you don't read my book, I can just predict your pricing success over the next 10 to 20 years of your career, which is, um, you charge X today. And at some point in the near or mid middle future, you're going to decide, you know, I think I'm I think I've mustered up the courage and I think I'm, my work is good enough that I can charge 1.2 X and um, you'll, you'll muster up the courage and you'll finally put forward a proposal for 1.2 X and it might not be the first one, but maybe it's the first one and the client buys it and doesn't flinch. And you'll think, wow, okay, this is great. It's a whole new level. It enables all this other, these other things in my life. And you'll cruise along at 1.2 X, which is the new X. And then you'll go through the same thing again. And then you'll do it again. And you'll just repeat that pattern over and over. And you're really only just overcoming your own mental hurdles. And maybe as you go, you're, you're, the size of your clients is increasing. And that's a good thing. And it allows you to move faster. But you can just skip levels of this levels of this from moving away from what you think is a fair price to what the client thinks is a fair price. So learn to master the value conversation and have the client tell you what the price is. And if you hear a price that's really low, if you use these other rules of offering options and anchoring high, let's say you your sense of the range of a logo today is 1,000 to 5,000 pounds. And you conduct a value conversation. The client says, well, I mean, if you do all these things to me, all these, if, if we accomplish all these things, you know, I think a logo would maybe be worth 500 pounds. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's, I actually think based on the conversation that we just had, it would be significantly higher. So you can, you can kind of lean into that difficult part of that conversation, or you can go away and say, okay, um, I'm going to come back with some options on how we can help. And I'm going to see if I can't, 500 is lower than what we typically charge. I'll see, you know, what I can do for 500 pounds. You might come back and say, well, here's, um, let me start with um, the most elaborate option. And it's 7,500 pounds or whatever the price is. Like the anchor, there's no boomerang effect to having a high anchor. So the price can be as high as you want. And, but it, but it, it sets the, tone for the conversation that follows and it frames the other prices. So you have in your $7,500 option, you would include like um, a lot of the things that you uncovered in the value conversation that were important to the client. So we, we really need to think beyond it's, it's, it's rarely is it the same project over and over because different clients value different things. That's the first principle of the book is the subjectivity of value. And the first rule is to price the client, not the job. So one client might just want to brief you and go away and have you come back with a logo or with three options and pick one. Another client might want you to, to learn about things about their business. They might want uh, weekly reporting or even daily reporting. They might want to be involved somehow more closely. Um, they might value, another client might value uh 
uh, not being involved at all. Just as I said at the beginning, just kind of briefing you and having you go away. So it's really important for you to uncover what's important to the client. And there's a killer question. I won't give it away here. In, in the book, there's a killer question to help you j do just that. And I think it's the best question in all of sales. But you uncover you know, what it is that the client values beyond the core service of delivering the logo. And airlines are a great example. Like the core service, when you buy an airline seat, a ticket, you know, the core service is transportation from A to B. But if you get on that plane with 300 other people, you look around, you realize 300 people have probably paid over 200 different prices. And some people at the front of the plane have paid 10, 20, 30 times more than people at the back of the plane and everybody's pretty comfortable with it. And that's because beyond the core value of transportation, some people have given more to get other forms of value, like extra legroom, like extra baggage, like access to the lounge, like higher quality service. And these things are important to some frequent travelers like me. And then some people have chosen to give up all of those things to make the price lower. And you want to apply the same principle to your clients. And that's how you come up with different prices for what others might say is, well, it's just a logo. It's not just a logo. It was, it's the logo is the outcome, but there's also the entire experience. And I priced, I put together these different packages based on, you know, what, I felt was really important to the client. So in your high anchor, you might include all of these things and they might even go beyond logo design. It might go to the stationary application, the application against the key touch points of the brand, but it might be about the experience. It might be about you traveling. It might be about the, the uh, reporting and the account management and the oversight that was included, et cetera. And then the cheapest option might be, we'll give you, um, if it's 500 pounds, maybe it's, uh, we give you five hours of design time. Uh, the cheap option, if you choose the 500 pound option, it's we're going to design it for five hours and we're going to present two finished logos and you pick one and then that's it. We're done. So that's, so if a client is kind of lowballing you on price, you can say, well, I can meet your price, but for that price, here's what you get. And here are all of the other things you give up. So in the middle option at say 1500 pounds, you might say, um, forget about time. We'll just come up with five rough concepts. You'll narrow them down to two. We'll finish the two. You'll select one and it might even include these other things. And we, we won't, we won't, um, we won't track time. And then the high level option can be whatever you can imagine. That's where you become an entrepreneur. You, you uncover some things that are really valuable to the client and you include them. And you might say, well, you know, beyond the logo, you're going to need this applied to all these other different touch points of the brand. So we'll include all of those in option three. And if they choose not to do them because they have a cheaper resource or they don't want to do that right now or whatever, that's okay. The anchor price has served its purpose by making the prices of the other options look less expensive in comparison. That's an, an amazing explanation again. Now, I, I know when it comes to these options, since reading your book, I've kind of started planning what I believe should be like different options that I would probably start to offer and, and potentially tailor to the specific client's needs. And um, I've been kind of I'm in an houring about this, and I know it's a conversation that's often asked by different people in uh, the communities online. It's like, should designers publish their pricing options on their website, or should they wait until the the customers actually got in touch? What what would you advise to do in that situation? Yeah, and I discuss this in the book. The answer is no. You shouldn't. You shouldn't publish your prices. Um, on your website, you could publish pricing guidance. You might say projects start at X hundred or thousand pounds, but even that, I think in the, if you're in the logo or identity design business, I would caution you against doing that. It wouldn't be a horrible mistake, but to say, um, you know, just logo 750 pounds logo plus you know, business card or website application or whatever it is, is 1500 pounds or whatever the prices are. That's a huge mistake. You know, interestingly, there's a, there's a really good book 
published in the United States. I'm sure it's available in the UK. It's called um, Built to Sell by a gentleman by the name of John Warillo. And in it, it's a business novel. And the hero of the novel is a designer um, who gets frustrated and one day decides he wants to shut it down, sell his business. So he goes to his accountant who says, and he says, I want to sell my business. And the accountant laughs and says, you have nothing to sell. Um, So he, it's not the accountant, it's the business advisor who, the business advisor coaches him on building a saleable business. And what he does is he takes what is essentially a customized service business, and that's anybody who's in the design business, almost anybody is in the customized service business where you should have, you know, no more than 10 to 15 ongoing clients at any one time. Every, every client engagement is a blank slate of opportunity. It's like a fresh palette that you might, or a fresh canvas that you might paint any kind of masterpiece and every engagement is different. So you go from in the book, he, he takes this customized service business and he turns it into a product productized service business where he can pursue infinite scale. So he basically gets the designer to focus on logo design and to publish the prices on his website and to hire multiple salespeople and to build a business of, um, kind of steady, predictable revenue. And then he's able to turn around and sell that business. And it's a great book for building a business that's built to sell. The unfortunate thing about that book is the example he's chosen isn't a very good one because identity design, as soon as you pursue infinite scale and you you productize your services, then you have like package A, package B, package C, and you put those prices on your website. Those are the forces that commoditize it. And most logo design businesses are never going to be sold. The idea is you should make a lot of money, fund a a rich, rewarding, interesting personal life in which you generate a lot of money and freedom and time to do other things. And at the end, if somebody is, if you're going to sell it, it's probably going to be an employee. But in the end, you're probably going to shut it down. That's that's not a bad thing. That's how these businesses should run and that's how you should exit. So as soon as you start thinking about packages, um, as soon as you pursue scale, you start thinking about packages, then it makes sense to put prices on your website. Then you apply all these commoditizing forces against what you do. And there's also no room to have a value conversation and uncover what's really important to the client about not just the logo, about, but about how she wants to work with the designer and how uh, valuable that is to her and how much she's willing to pay that. So the, there is a trend in digital marketing firms of, of this quasi-productization and putting prices on the website. And that's in violation of my first rule of pricing for a customized service business. And that is to price the client, not the job. So that's the very long answer, Ian. I apologize for the lengthy answer of, should you put prices on your website? The answer is no. I, th- I think that's a, a brilliant explanation. And, and I know in um, instances in the past where I have put prices online, even if you've got a bracket, like you put between X and Y, you get people coming to you that just expect it to be the, the lowest price and they don't consider yeah. um, that they might need something of, of the the higher end. Because um, I know with my lowest price options, they've been times when the projects have been very quick. And, you know, it's... I just think it is a big mistake because you you do get you just get the the clients have a set expectation of what they're going to get when they contact you. So I I, I do think you have to start with that conversation and um, whether it's the value based conversation or presenting options like you mentioned, I, I do think that makes sense to do. And uh, I agree with you that it's, it's a big mistake. And I think what you explained then was was perfect, and everyone would totally understand that. Now, I know that you're incredibly knowledgeable on, on pricing, so I'd love to talk a little bit about you and your background. How did you become so knowledgeable on, on pricing and, and like what's your background prior to creating Win Without Pitching? Yeah, so I grew up uh, professionally. I'm based in Canada, but I grew up professionally in first in advertising and then in design. Um, my first employer was a full service marketing communication firm. So it was a, it was a design firm that bought, it was actually a PR firm that bought an ad agency and they had already done design. 
Then I went to work for some of the largest ad agencies in the world and then some of the smallest design firms. So I, I came up on the business side or the, I wore a suit. Um, it's hard to imagine that <laughs> looking back in my past, but <clears throat> I was an account person and I very quickly in my first job, um, I was handed new business development responsibility. So I grew up on that side of the business. Win Without Pitching is the name of my book, or sorry, is the name of my business. My It's also the name of my first book, The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. And it was originally a, cons a new business development consultancy uh, when I founded it back in 2002. In 2013, I changed, I did, I went from a consultative services company to a productized services business. Uh, we became a training company and, uh, uh, I hope it, people don't think, well, didn't you just say, don't do that? Um, no, I think in, in creative firms, I had to make the decision. I was stuck in the mushy middle. I had quasi productized my consulting services. So I thought, well, I, I either need to be a fully customized service business and, uh, be a, a proper consultant where I value price every engagement or I need to productize and pursue scale. And I chose to productize and pursue scale based largely on where I live. So I'm in Western Canada in British Columbia. If you know British Columbia, Vancouver is the capital city. Actually, sorry, Victoria is the capital city. Vancouver is the, the major city, but I'm a short nine hour car ride from Vancouver. I live in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. So I, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't really do a properly customized service business, consulting business because of the nature of travel is difficult for me. So I chose to productize. So Win Without Pitching is a is a new business development training company. And um, somewhere around 2013, when I was transitioning from a consult solo practice to a larger training company, I, um, I was onboarding a president of a design or of an ad agency into our training program. And he was telling me a story. He said, you know, Blair, I'm, so I'm getting the basic information from him so we can get him into our training program. And he said, uh, uh, I've, I've made a lot of money from your advice over the years. And I said, Oh, that's great. He said, no, no, I've made a lot of money. And I said, Oh, I'm really happy for you. But he really wanted me to know. He said, Blair, I've made millions of dollars from applying your advice on how to do new business and how to beat the scourge of free pitching. And my, I went, I, I had kind of a, a reaction, multiple reactions. So I said, oh, that's nice. But my real reaction was, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> you, you haven't paid me that much money over the years. He'd come to a seminar or two. He'd been a subscriber to our webcast back then. And I total up the money he'd paid me. And it was somewhere between three and $5,000. I thought that's not fair. And then my second reaction was, well, that's ridiculous. Of course it's fair. And, but I resolved in that moment to learn what I didn't know about the subject of fairness, value, and pricing. And so I read, started reading some books and very early into the first book, Ron Baker's book, Pricing on Purpose. Excellent. He's such a great author. He's such a great, um, advisor guru on the subject of value-based pricing. I realized it was a massive field I knew nothing about. So I've essentially read everything, <laughs> which isn't how I learned to sell. I learned to sell by knowing what I hate in salespeople. Um, but I learned to price by reading the canon of literature on pricing and then applying it to creative, uh, to creative firms. And so it was, it's just pricing is the, is the easiest fastest way to an improved bottom line. It's not by learning to sell better. It's not by managing your costs or your people better. If you want to make more money tomorrow, spend some time learning how to improve your pricing. So when I got into the subject, I learned, started learning some things very quickly. I was very quickly able to translate this into financial success in my clients' businesses. And um, a friend suggested I write a book on it. I resisted initially. I said, there are a lot of great books on pricing. And he said, well, your clients aren't going to read those books. And I think he's right because I'm, you know, for <clears throat> many of the people who've purchased Pricing Creativity, and it's an expensive book, and we can talk about that. And we've sold over 1,500 copies, and the cheapest price is $100, and the most expensive price is $320. For most of these people, it's the first book on pricing they've ever purchased, and it may be their last.
I know I'm very much in that um, boat. I, I I have read quite a few pricing books, but your one it feels more relevant to uh, what I want to do because it is very much tailored towards creatives. And uh, it's although it's an expensive book, when I bought it, I I considered it more of a training course, and I've spent substantially more on training courses than your highest priced um, options. So I kind of had something to weigh it up against. So I, I do think it's a good investment, and um, it's a it's a fantastic book. And I do think that if you follow all of the advice in there, then you will definitely make that money back in a short space of time. So it should basically pay for itself. Yeah, and if you don't, um, we'll give you your money back. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 priced up. Uh, unusually i think uh i wanted it to be the first pricing book in the world that's priced based on the principles in the book and it's got a full money back guarantee if for any reason you're not seeing value in it mm-hmm. send it back we'll give you your money back i know i learned something just reading the first page <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah hopefully others had the same reaction now i want to ask you one last question just to wrap up the conversation because we're close to the end of our time so if you could give just one piece of advice to designers or creators out there who are struggling with their prices, what would that advice be? I would say ultimately um, the prices you command are a function of your self-esteem. Now there are techniques and they're all covered in the book that you can use to raise your prices. But at the end of the day, I think um, I'm not a designer. I'm a writer, so I identify as a, myself as a creative. Um, but I love designers, and I um, like we've. I I think design is a calling. I think all of the creative professions or careers are really a calling, and I think these people are really kind of again called to do what they do, and they make this decision to make their passion or their calling their business. And uh, I think designers sometimes undercharge because they're often in such a vulnerable position because what you're selling is so personal. And so therefore rejection is personal. Um, And I would just say that uh, uh, there are people, there are clients who are beating you up often, but there are also great clients out there. And there's other people in the world who just really, really value what you do. Like the longer I live, the longer I'm on this planet, the more I see the effects of good and bad design. And I think it's really difficult to put a price on or overpay for good design. So you're doing, I think, what is great value in the world and just stand up for yourself and charge more. At the end of the day, your, your prices are a reflection of your self-esteem and uh, whatever, you know, I, I'm trying to do whatever I can to improve your self-esteem and giving you the techniques to work around it too. But, you know, part of your self-esteem will rise and your pricing confidence will rise as you just charge more, like take, take risks, push yourself, be in an uncomfortable position where you're putting forward a price that's just multiples of what you would have charged before. And you will see your confidence rise and you will see your self-confidence Self-esteem is really kind of basic in essence, so it's you can't really affect that, I don't think. But your your confidence in a sales situation will rise as you get validation. Skip over the incremental the incremental steps and just go for big jumps in pricing success. Sorry, that's a long answer. I'll just say that of all the feedback that I've received on the book, the most common story I've heard is somebody says, I put forward my first three option, one page proposal, and the, I started with the high anchor, and the high anchor was multiples of what I've ever charged before, and the client immediately bought the high anchor. That is the most common story I've heard, which tells me that designers are systematically undervaluing themselves and undercharging. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with that. And um, yeah, that's that's brilliant advice. I know from experience, again, there's been situations when I've been incredibly busy and, and because I, I've got no fear of losing the job, I have like times my price by like five. 
and I have been amazed in those instances where where people have, you know, gone ahead yeah. with it, and uh, the, that confidence that I needed to continually kind of put out that that higher price. So I think that's good advice. Um, I, I think everything that you've given in this episode is very good advice, and and your book is, like I said, it's for for me, it's one of the best I've read to properly understand pricing. I think the the way that you've written it is you've made it very easy to understand and um put into context as well because it is um like the first page if for logo designers one of the first pages in the book is about um is titled like how much is a logo and it kind of just for for logo designers in in particular and graphic designers i think the book is fantastic for that so blair i just want to say thank you um for coming up the show for sharing as much as you did and um yeah for being a, a fantastic guest thanks blair Thank you, Ian. It's really my pleasure to be here and good luck with the podcast. I've listened to a few episodes. I really enjoyed it. If I could just point out that you, know, you can't find this book on Amazon. It's available only at pricingcreativity.com. Such a great interview, Blair. Thank you for being an incredible guest. For those out there that want to check out the book, Price and Creativity, that we discussed in this interview, just go to priceandcreativity.com or you can head over to the show notes for this episode where you'll find links to all of Blair's books and any resources mentioned uh, in this interview as well, along with a full transcription of the interview too. To find the show notes, just head over to logogeek.uk forward slash 3.3. Now, if you want to talk about this episode with me and over 5,000 other logo designers from around the world, just head over to the Logo Geek community on Facebook, which is totally free to join. And if you want to be part of it, just head over to logogeek.uk forward slash community. You do need to answer a couple of questions. And the reason for that is just so that I can um, make sure that everyone enters the group is a designer. And I know that they're going to contribute to the group because anyone that's ever used any Facebook groups, a lot of them are terrible. And um, I make sure to moderate the group properly so that we just have, you know, great designers in there lots of great conversations too there's so many good people in there and we always have really good conversations on a daily basis and i'd love for you to be part of that if you're not already now if you're enjoying this season so far and you want to give back in some way you can leave me a review on itunes and if you're able to do that i'd appreciate it so much so thank you anyway thanks so much for listening and i'll see you next time